Our Old Testament lesson today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. I invite you to hear these words. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children, then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever driven past a part of a town or through a community and wondered what is wrong with that place? Oftentimes we start there when trying to look at and figure out how to work with communities. What problems are you facing? The code word being, what's wrong with you? These are questions of deficit. And how we often work to solve them is by figuring out how those people on the outside, namely us, can infuse our money and strength in order to help the problem that we see. Almost every community, for instance, throughout the whole country has a needs assessment that someone in their community completes. It starts with the needs of the community, the deficit places. The starting point then is what you or what the community lacks. I wonder, have you ever been to a church gripe session? I mean that to sound just as bad as it does. Sometimes, whether by planning intentionally or otherwise, a church meeting can devolve into a, here's all the things wrong with our history and everything we do now and everything that we have ever done. And if we're not careful, we start from this place of deficit, all the things we need, all the ways we have failed, all of the problems, and it feels defeating and impossible. Now, I would argue that when we do this, that this is primarily a theological problem. And the question I have is, where do we start the story? Where do we start the story? Do we start it in Genesis 1? Or do we start the story in Genesis 3? Let me explain. Do we begin with the fact that we learn about in Genesis 3 that we are all fallen, sinful creatures living in a sinful world? Or do we start with the fact of Genesis 1 and 2, that God created all creation good and even called humanity good? Where we start the story matters. Is the high point of our salvation story death or resurrection? It probably depends on where we start the story. It's probably death if we start with the fact that we are fallen and need someone to take our place. But the high point of the story of salvation is that death is defeated by Jesus, rising from the dead. And we can return to right relationship with God 
and with one another. You see, where we start the story matters. Which is why what we are talking about today is so very important. I'm going to introduce you something. A, B, C, D is all you got to remember, okay? Y'all can, I think you can do that, okay? A, B, C, D stands for Asset-Based Community Development, all right? Simply, it's this. When we practice asset-based community development, the first question is this. What is right with you? What is right with you? What gifts has God given to you and to your community? It's why I had Miles read that 1 Corinthians text today to remind us of the gifts that all have been given by God. What gifts exist in you and your community? The reality we know is that when we talk about what is right, what is good in a community, that we'll get to the things that are wrong soon enough. They'll come up. We'll know the weaknesses and the needs of ourselves and our communities, that they exist. But starting from what is right can change the self-image of someone, can change the self-perception of a whole community, and it can change our entire framework. So rather than driving through that place and saying, I wonder what's wrong with it, and I'll see all the bad things, we can say, I wonder what the gifts are, particularly in this community. I wonder what gifts are actually being put down not celebrated and carried out in that space. One of the keys to ABCD, to asset-based community development, is this. It's to listen and to respect the dreams of the local leadership. It's to listen and to respect the dreams of the local leadership. So the steps of asset-based community development, right, which are really big words to really just say what is right with the place, the steps are this. First, you identify and you mobilize the skills of that community. So in other words, the, the, the way they do it professionally is to create an asset map. You, you, you map the assets. You find out what good things do you all have. It's not just physical things. It's also skills, talents, abilities. The second step is to look for resources and solutions within that community. So in other words, not from the outside, but within the community. Then it's to seek to build relationships among local people and institutions. Oftentimes, a community that's experienced, that's experienced blight, a, a church fellowship that's experienced that, often has forgotten the gifts that lie within one another and how they connect, or the gifts that, it, that lie between institutions and communities. And the fourth step is to only bring outside resources when the local ones are insufficient to solve pressing needs, but to bring them slowly and temporarily, right? So this is about kind of this relief, rehab, development cycle that we've been talking about in the last couple weeks. I encourage you to catch up on it on the podcast or via YouTube if you haven't had a chance. But, but, but the reality is that when we practice asset-based community development, when we think about what is the good, what is right within the community first, we're, we're way less tempted to go in right away with our fixes of what we think someone else needs, right? So, Jeremiah. I read this text from Jeremiah 29, and, and I want to set the scene for you. The people of Judah all right, are in exile, right? Which means their temple was destroyed, 
Their entire land that was their promised land has been taken from them, and they have been taken to a very, very far place to Babylon, right? And I think sometimes when we're in biblical world, we just hear words like exile, and we're like, okay, that they're, they're in exile. But, but, I mean, they've been removed completely from their homeland and taken to this foreign place. So how do you think the people of Judah thought about Babylon? Probably said that good-for-nothing place. It's unclean, full of other gods. And the message that Jeremiah tells the people is in some way pragmatic, right? He kind of tells them, hey, don't just waste away and die here. Like, build a house, get you a wife, have some children, because really what he's saying is there's no future generations uh, if you're not going to continue to exist. Like, there's, there's going to be no one to return with if, if we don't continue to have a people. But even more, beyond the pragmatic, Jeremiah was asking the exiles to completely change and shift their paradigm. Right? Because here's what he says. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. In other words, see the good in it. Ask what is right in Babylon, exiles. Invest in the local economy. Participate in it. Jeremiah was encouraging asset-based community development before there was such a thing that was known. He was asking the people, the same ones who in exile sang the song of Psalm 137. Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung up our lyres in the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. Sing us a song about Zion, they said. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? That is the people that Jeremiah is preaching to in exile. And Jeremiah was asking for a complete mindset change, a complete paradigm shift. A godly response, friends, to a community is never, that place is God-forsaken. It is always to find the hope and the gifts within the community. Do you hear that? A godly response to a place or a people is never to say, that place is God-forsaken. It is always to find the hope and the gifts of that community. When we start the story with what's wrong with you, we are like a doctor looking for a solution that we can bring to a community's body. So we are ready to quickly assign a prescription or remedy from the outside to ease the symptoms. But when we practice asset-based community development, what we are doing is moving away from relief alone. Instead, we can move towards what some call reciprocal exchange, which is a fancy way of saying we both bring stuff to the table, right? Robert Lupton shares this story of a clothes closet that existed at a local church, right? And people could come and get whatever clothes they needed. And what they did was they changed that, they changed that model into a thrift store eventually. Now, the local volunteers, they didn't like that very much because they knew how to run the clothes closet. But what happened, right, is that the people who used to come and get the clothes now came and bought the clothes. And in order to have money to buy the clothes, they also worked at the store wherein they had a job, right? And, and, and what, what it was created was that they had a sense of ownership and pride in the space as opposed to just being the recipients. 
That's what we mean by reciprocal exchange. They, they, they were participating in it. Usually an economy is a reciprocal exchange. Like, you work, you get a wage, right? I mean, it's, there's something given by both parties. And so dignity got restored instead of just a handout. One thing that is particularly hard about the practices of asset-based community development or anything that we've been talking about over these last many weeks is this. They start with listening and doing the hard work of discerning in the community that really, that really needs this, time. Asset-based community development takes time. We are often tempted toward relief instead of development because of our American need for speed that tries to cut the slow process of development off before it's even started. But good, lasting change in a community takes time. Eugene Peterson, in one of his early books, called it this, a long obedience in the same direction, right? Y'all, when we're talking about making changes just in our own lives, we know it takes time. When we're talking about making changes within an entire system or entire community, it takes, it's not months, it's years. Heck, it might be decades that we're talking about in terms of investment, right? These things take time. And how we love our community, how we love our neighbors matters. Both our perception as a church and the community's perception of Jesus are at stake. Tim Keller, the late pastor, in his book Generous Justice, says this, when a city perceives a church as existing strictly and only for itself and its own members, the preaching of that church will not resonate with outsiders. But if neighbors see church members loving their city through astonishing, sacrificial deeds of compassion, they will be much more open to the church's message. Friends, God is inviting us to see abundance in all places and in all people, to recognize and lift up the gifts of the community instead of starting with the problems. So we are shifting our paradigm when we do this, personally, as a church, right? But this is what Jesus does to us all the time. It's what we signed up for. This is discipleship. This is what it looks like to follow after Jesus. We are not here to remain the same. None of you came today hoping that by coming here you would remain the exact same as you were before. No, we are here to become more like Jesus by the power of his spirit and his grace working within us. So I wonder what would our world be like if we started with what is going right here as our starting point. What would our homes and our families look like if we started with what is going right here? Perhaps this is the most revolutionary thing Christians can do, to start with hope, to start with blessing, to start with creation, to start with resurrection. Amen.